The following is a special sponsored edition of the Big Four Bio Podcast. Daniel Levine, and this is the Big Four Bio Podcast. Many life science companies lack the internal expertise to ensure employees are safe, labs are compliant, and operations run smoothly. Safety Partners leverages the science backgrounds of its team to deliver environmental health and safety programs customized to meet the needs of its life science partners across Massachusetts and New York. We spoke to Jennifer Riley, president and COO of Safety Partners, about how it works with life sciences companies to craft environmental health and safety programs, how the work has evolved over the firm's 30-year history, and her own career trajectory from consultant to president of the woman-owned firm. Jen, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. We're going to talk about safety partners, the role it plays within the life sciences industry, and your own career journey. Perhaps we can start with the company itself, which will be celebrating its 30th anniversary in January. For listeners not familiar with Safety Partners, what is it? So Safety Partners is a consulting firm, and we solely focus on EHS. So we're providing environmental health and safety consulting services, predominantly to science and technology companies. So we're one of the many service providers that are needed by these companies, um, and particularly for EHS support, it's companies working with hazardous materials, hazardous equipment, or hazardous processes that we want to wrap a workplace safety program around those hazards. Uh, so, you know, we're incredibly proud of the part that we play in the life science community um, and have the good fortune of growth along with the industry. So celebrating 30 years is, is really exciting for us. The life sciences industry is highly regulated. There are also additional exposures and safety concerns that exist within a life sciences company than a typical office. Mm -hmm. How do you work with these companies? So we really want to engage with our clients to take the hard part off of their shoulders um, and, and the hard part of that safety program off the scientists. So we do this by establishing good relationships at all levels of the company uh, to, you know, to really engage those stakeholders in the lab, whether it's facility staff, it could be ancillary employees, support staff, the researchers in the lab, on up to department heads and, you know, other leaders in the company. We want to understand their processes. We want to understand their pain points and how we can brainstorm with them uh, relevant workable solutions. And it's really about listening and right-sizing these uh, safety EHS programs so that we can be proactive. You, you've actually said you've considered yourself a partner rather than a provider. What do you mean by that? So we call our consultants, you know, in, in the title consulting safety officer, um, but we don't we don't really define that consultant as a traditional consultant. We don't want to go in there and 
give a list of what needs to be done and say, we'll come back in a week and, and confirm that it's done. We really want to be part of that solution. So our, our tagline reflects our approach. We want the hands-on listening, brainstorming, and helping to implement the ideas and, and don't just want to sit back and watch, you know, watch the researchers or the company have to do it themselves. And I think that's really for us um, what we what the value that we can bring to the company outside of and along with the expertise that we bring, but it's also that um, attitude of let's get it done. What are the particular challenges life sciences companies face with regards to environmental health and safety issues? And how much of that is addressed internally and, and how much of that is work done through a company like Safety Partners? You know, our experience is that early stage companies, you know, startups generally outsource exclusively. They're looking for um, a company like Safety Partners, a service provider uh, that has the expertise that they don't have in-house. Typically with a small startup company, it's not a full-time role. So how can they fulfill this need and this challenge of technical expertise in a part-time fashion? And so that's why they turn to safety partners. Uh, and then our experience is as that company grows, they bring it in-house. They may now, you know, have the the um, the need for a full-time in-house person. And then oftentimes safety partners will augment that department. So the company will grow, they'll start to, you know, fill in their own department and use us to, you know, on a project basis. Within a, a smaller, mid-sized biotech, who generally takes responsibility for overall safety issues? Is there a, a single point of contact? Is this something that's done department to department? Mm. Well, uh, you know, I think the canned answer is everyone truly has a responsibility for safety. Uh, but, you know, we see that this evolves over time as a company grows. So early on, a safety program is very decentralized. It's a, a volunteer, voluntold kind of basis. There's multiple people that take various slices depending on you know their past experience. Maybe it's their past expertise. Um, and, and that kind of decentralized model to, to address the safety needs and the workplace safety issues. But then we see as a company starts to grow, it becomes more organized, it's more centralized, um, but still everyone you know really needs to take a part in in a more consistent standardized program. And do you help your your partners think this through and and do you encourage them to put someone as a kind of head safety responsibility on? We do. It, you know, our job is to really educate the client uh, so, you know, it could be someone who has a background in chemistry and we need to designate a chemical hygiene officer. So ultimately, at the end of the day, the client needs to own, you know, the company needs to own their program. So how can we help educate them and support them along that way and, you know, help designate who the right stakeholders would be, get the right people in the room um, when it comes to the safety program and and kind of train the trainer along the way? My sense is that companies do take this seriously, but do they view this as simply a matter of compliance or is there a strategic component to this? You know, I think that's a really good question. Uh, and I'd say, I'm, I'm sure no one would um, say that employee safety 
is second to compliance. But at first, companies are, they understand that they need to get these permits in place. There's certain regulatory hurdles in order to, to get their company up and running. And so I would say initially, it's definitely a compliance focused issue. Um, you know, what we have to do, we don't want to get in trouble. Let's make sure we get our ducks in a row from a compliance standpoint. But again, that evolves over time and it, and it really becomes more strategic related to safety when they see that there's increased productivity, there's um, increased happiness with employees. Employees coming from maybe a larger institution come with a set of expectations of their own safety. And there's definitely a shift in the, maybe the younger demographic of researchers that they're very concerned about their personal safety um, and, and want that to be part of their everyday working environment. As I mentioned, Safety Partners is preparing to celebrate its 30th anniversary. How has the complexity of the issues this industry faces evolved during that time? And, and how has Safety Partners changed along with that? You know, the, I think the components of a safety program have remained the same. We want to go in and recognize the hazards, assess the risks, develop procedures, train on those procedures, and repeat. And so we, you know, as a company, the, you know, different technologies get introduced, different regulations, you know, gene editing technologies. Um, so we work as a, a company to come up to speed on those new technologies. But then again, it's that recognizing the hazard, assessing the risk, developing procedures and training um, that really is the backbone um, that, that we lean on to, to put those programs in place. We are still in the midst of a, a lingering pandemic. What role did safety partners play in helping companies address issues that have emerged as a result of COVID-related issues? I, I take it that's not something that is typically built into the safety programs a company has. Right. So, you know, through the years, there's been various times that we've had to to think about pandemic response situations, but certainly nothing to the magnitude of, of you know, the, the ongoing pandemic. But Safety Partners was very active in supporting our clients um, with COVID workplace safety protocols, uh, with helping monitoring. And, you know, that came down to whether it was writing plans, it was talking through uh, lab densities, talking through, you know, densities in office areas and, and how they were going to navigate around shared spaces and cleaning protocols uh, and, and helping to really look at those challenges and still um, support their research so that, you know, the research can't be done from home. <laughs> so, so that the researchers could come in, could feel safe um, and, and certainly promote that safe working environment. So, very busy during COVID and, and beyond. <laughs> As you think about the work you do, are, are things changing as you look ahead? Mm. You know, I think the, the big change, you know, particularly with COVID is um, everyone's ability or recognition that things can be done remotely. So there's a certain element of a safety program that can be done remotely and, and, you know, whether that's training or, um, you know, also just the remote nature and the shifting work schedules. And I think that, you know, could create challenges down the road as 
you know, maybe the the flexibility and the the core hours tend to lengthen. And now do you have people working at odd times that are typically, you know, not having people on site and are people there by themselves? And so that's certainly something um, that, you know, I really want to keep an eye on as it evolves and how we can make sure that we still promote that safe working environment. And and I think also, I think this has always been an issue, but it's doing more with less and and what's the safety value proposition for a company to, to invest in a safety program. We're heading into a new year. As the new year begins, are there routine safety issues or reviews companies should be thinking about as one year ends and a, a new one begins? Mm. So I think it's great for companies to you know, there's new budgets that get put in place. There's new equipment that's going to be ordered and maybe hiring needs. And a, a strong safety program is always um, ahead or one step ahead of what's going on. So, you know, safety partners as a company, we don't want to just keep pace with the companies that we're supporting. We want to be one step ahead so that we can be proactive. So thinking about, you know, what's planned for the coming year um, you know, again, growth procedures and how is safety going to dovetail into that? So I think it's always great to, as budgets get settled and, um, you know, looking at how safety is going to support, you know, operational growth of, of the company, for example, um, making sure that's done at the beginning of the year. So we're not always playing catch up. While I have you, I was hoping to talk a little about your own career trajectory. You were started your work in safety within organizations, many of which would be familiar to our listeners, including El Nylum, Biogen, Curis, and Brigham and Women's Hospital. I'm wondering how that led you to safety partners. So I have always uh, been very safety conscious uh, and worked particularly at smaller companies where it was that decentralized safety program. Uh, and so interestingly, um, when I was at Curis, uh, it was ontogeny to, to begin with Denise, the, the CEO and founder of Safety Partners. She was, you know, pretty early on in the business and she was the consultant and I met her at that point. So she was doing the hands-on consulting. Um, that really led me down the path of safety, uh, and, and continued to, to pique my interest in safety, uh, and working to support companies. So eventually I decided to, to really, uh, move into safety and safety consulting full-time. Safety Partners is a certified woman-owned company with an all-woman leadership team. How has that shaped the work environment, and, and do you find it qualitatively different than other places you've worked because of that? You know, I've worked at small, very small startups and, you know, larger, well-established institutions, and qualitatively, there's a greater acceptance of the need for flexibility, um, the, the understanding of working part-time and really fewer barriers to career growth in a, an environment where you're working part-time. And, and I think that really has been a large qualitative difference. You began as a part-time consultant at Safety Partners and, and rose to become president and COO. Uh, that's quite a trajectory. How did you accomplish that? What allowed you to rise that way? No, thank you. I, 
you know, I think it also comes down to that there was no barriers to success for part-time employees at Safety Partners. So I've been incredibly lucky to work with great people, have great mentors, uh, a really supportive environment. And that has really led to, um, you know, my success and my trajectory. Uh, and, and it's also Safety Partners is an environment of uh, lifelong learning. So if you are by nature a lifelong learner, uh, you're going to find success at Safety Partners because there will not be those barriers and there are the opportunities to learn new things and to excel at different things that you never thought possible. You're also on the board of West Org. This is a Boston-based organization that helps women in science, technology, and engineering advance their careers. What advice would you offer women working in the life sciences about how to best advance their own careers? You know, there's really three things that I think about when when someone asks me for advice and um, that, you know, that I've learned over time and been able to better articulate. And first, uh, it's about mentoring. It's finding someone to be your mentor. And that's not necessarily your direct supervisor. It's, you know, it could be a close colleague. It could be, um, you know, someone that you've worked with prior to. So just finding good avenues to get a good mentor um, is incredibly helpful. Uh, second, I would say is is self-advocacy. Um, don't be afraid to ask the question. The answer is always no unless you ask the question. So asking for opportunities, asking um, you know to learn something new to again advocate for yourself is really important. And then lastly is it's about the relationships and so networking. It's getting out there and meeting people and not being afraid to 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 network and admit you know, areas that you need to improve upon and then, you know, how that cycle helps with mentoring and self-advocation. So, you know, I'd say those are really the, the three key things that I would give as career advice. Jennifer Riley, President and COO of Safety Partners. Jennifer, thanks so much for your time today. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. The Big Four Bio podcast is brought to you by Big Four Bio leading aggregator service of four of the top life sciences centers in the world, Boston, San Diego, Philadelphia, and San Francisco Bay Area. To subscribe for free to Big Four's daily newsletters, go to bigfourbio.com. This podcast is produced by the Levine Media Group for Big Four Bio. Our theme music is provided for the podcast by the Jonah Levine Collective and appears on the album Attention Deficit by Alpha Pup Records. 